Hello, hello, hello. You're listening to Anchored and Devoted with Pastors Joseph and Pastor Jer. I'm Pastor Jer. And I'm Pastor Joseph, and welcome back. We are so over the moon that you're here. We really are. We hope that you have, uh, that you're enjoying this, this season, season two of Anchored and Devoted, and that you're benefiting from the conversations that we're having here. Um, if you are, please, you know, feel free to let us know. Drop us a line at anchoredanddevoted.gmail.com. You can send us some love. You can send us some hate, whatever you want. <laughs> but we, we look forward to any correspondence from you. And we will certainly write back to you. Amen. Um, today, we're coming at you with a, a new topic, a new idea to camp out on, uh, maybe for just one episode, maybe for a couple episodes, but to talk through some issues here of life and value um, from a from a Christian point of view, how should the Christian, especially the younger believer, think through the issues that we're sort of largely lumping under bioethics? But when it comes to bioethics, we're not just talking about the sanctity of life vis-a-vis abortion or euthanasia, but the sanctity of life as it comes to war, the sanctity of life as it comes to medical care, um, the sanctity of life as it comes to the progression of science, all of these topics weave in and out. And uh, that's kind of our jumping off point for today. But Dave, why don't you give us some background on on how this conversation came up between you and me? And yeah, we can so um, today's our transparency day, it seems. Um, we were talking about just things on our hearts as well as in our heads and things we've been wrestling with. And personally for me, I've been wrestling with um, how best to move forward with my health diagnosis and um, trying to balance trusting God, being fully informed with what's available and also talking to the individuals in front of me. Um, the diagnosis wasn't a positive one and it was one that caused me to pause, um, for a moment, but the pause wasn't out of fear. It was out of, um, out of grief. Um, in that moment, you're wrestling with, okay, how does this work? How does life work? You know, how do you use time? And all those things are God things. And often we try and uh, do them ourselves. And God made that real clear. Like you don't get the get in that world. There are things for you to engage with. And one of them is our topic today. Um, you know, how does it work when we talk about gene editing? So one of the treatments for multiple myeloma is um, um, going through chemo and then uh, using some of the bone marrow before the treatment to send off to a lab where they spin it and do their thing and then give it back to you. And they edit out a lot of the stuff um, that you don't want and give it back to you so that hopefully you can bounce back. Um, There isn't a cure for multiple myeloma, so it isn't a fix, but it is something that's come out in the last two to three years that there's a lot of hope around. Um, as you know, they've seen a, a number of individuals with significant uh, positive responses. Um, and some of the testing, you know, is in the phase three. So they've had a couple years of doing it, uh, some even longer than that. Um, it's easy when you're 
um, looking at the doctor and they tell you something to just go along with it because you're trusting them, even though their skin in the game is limited to a co-op <laughs> or a co-payment. Um, a right. co-op as far as it's the time that we spend together and we're working together in the same path. But the collaboration is also based on uh, a transaction. Um, the, uh, the treatment options are a variety, but that's one. And I wanted to rest a little bit with it today because the ramifications of gene editing um, um, impact not just me personally, knowing that, you know, not planning to have any more kids. So there's no issue as far as this being passed on anyone. Um, but even when it comes to the things that a number of the companies like CRISPR and Editus and Gene are doing, um, there's the potential for it to be passed on. And then there is the reality that many of them are working on stuff that shouldn't be passed on past the individual. Um, as we were wrestling with this in conversation, one of my big concerns is not solely for the companies that are working on this, but the companies that we right. don't know of in countries right. that we work with that are doing their own thing and just how you could end up with a, um, a healthcare system, a country, countries where people, governments, agencies are working um, to push agendas uh, that impact your health and the health of others without um, the conversation being had on, is this okay? Um, right. I, you know, I remember when it first came out that the gene editing was taking place, there was a Nobel Peace Prize uh, given to some of the, those that came up with the CRISPR system and began, you know, I want to say with mRNA as well. Um, It's a lot. I mean, it's just a lot, personally. Um, it is a lot. And it brings up it brings up a number of different questions. You you asked one of them, is this a good thing? Uh, you also implied several questions. To what extent is this helpful? And how do we measure what is helpful? How do we discuss what is helpful in terms of the impact on the individual who is ill, the impact to the family, the impact to society, the impact to future generations? And then you also have, is this safe? And, and that safety question has to be asked, not just in terms of the individual and their health, specifically when we're talking about health issues, but it also has to be, uh, we also have to discuss safety in terms of how could this technology be used as a weapon by anybody? How could it be used both as a positive force in humanity and as a negative force? And that led to a secondary topic as we were talking. And that was, um, you know, I think you said it was one news outlet that you saw when the U.S. <laughs> first stated that they had an unmanned drone, an automated drone firing in combat circumstances. Right. Uh, oh, now, Dave, you were... You were at the Naval Academy 20 years ago. Yeah, and even back at, <laughs> it's been a minute, man. <laughs> but that even at that point, we already were employing technology that we could set on basically 
prowl or uh yeah yeah it, it was called loiter mode um loiter mode thank you that's what i'm looking it's for not in top secret there it's it's just pretty much almost like parking uh, a system so it, it stays put in a fixed area until you need to move upon a target um but that was still one that um only engaged as far as waiting for certain things to take place. So um, if anyone out there is a coder, you understand um, the process coding wise, where um, the machine in front of you knows it just stays in that position, even though it is in action, it's circling or whatever up in the clouds. Um, once it sees a certain vehicle, individuals are notified, that kind of stuff. Um, but last year, um, you know, 2021, I remember hearing, um, um, I only heard it on PBS, uh, of the first, um, individuals that were being killed by, um, robots that were manned with AI. And that, that made me cry, honestly. Um, it wasn't, when I went to the academy, it wasn't because of what was, it wasn't solely for the loss of life. Like I was disheartened by that. Um, and I was also disheartened uh, with the understanding not of the Terminator or anything like that, but just where does life find value when we allow for some thing that we've created, like artificial intelligence, to take it? Like that to me is just like wow, like right. That that's you know, war has always been so in your face. Um, and we continue to distance it and try and make it sanitary so that it's acceptable to us. And I say us, the Western world, because the rockets aren't landing on our house or in our streets or whatever. It's, it's one of those things. Um, uh, it's one of those things where my heart aches when someone can create code that allows for a machine to understand this is the actions that I need to take place. And it takes right. life. And that that's the tie in here between these two topics for me is there's code that once written does what it is going to do. And the, the safety of that code is no longer supervised the way that things are supervised when I still have to push a button or make a switch or punch in new code to update actions, whether we're talking about gene editing or whether we're talking about programming AI. The safety question here for me is how do I as a Christian view, uh, you know, a, a, a set of instructions that are to some extent, and maybe I'm being pejorative here, maybe I'm, maybe I'm going too far with this, but to some extent, the instructions that are coded in here are fire and forget. Once, once it's written and you release it, there's not a, well, let's just pull that back and, and fix this. We realized down the road there's a problem or realized down the road this isn't having the effect we wanted or it's causing different problems or someone has uh, hijacked this for their own purposes. Once it's released, we no longer have control over. We can no longer put it back into its proper place. 
And so it becomes the, the, the issue of, of bioethics is one that, uh, as I look at it, it's also a question of boundaries. How do we determine as Christians, what are the proper boundaries and what are the areas of um, self-governance that we are giving up? And, and, and when we do that, how aware are we? What is the thought process that goes into our decision when we give up these areas of self-governance? Because again, once I introduce something into my body that I have no control over, I'm giving up self-governance. Once there is AI that is uh, acting against or for my life without my impacting it, I've given up self-governance. Am I thinking through these things and how am I responding as a Christian? What is my posture? What's my perspective? And what am I going to do about it moving forward? For me, personally, I've been wrestling with, you know, Genesis, God made us in his image. You know, looking at chapter one and wrestling with that. And then looking also at um, the first loss of life and how much it grieves God um, to see his creation destroying each other. And so when I think about CRISPR, and CRISPR is the, um, the editing system, I guess. Yes, there's a company called CRISPR, um, but that's because they use that uh, process to edit genes and um, try and help people. Um, the tough part of this conversation is, where is your relationship with God? And are you listening to him with a goal of him first, not my comfort first? So for those individuals who are in pain and struggling and, you know, thinking of potential ways to end the season early because medicine allows that in other countries. Um, you know, for me personally, that isn't something I believe um, we should be focused on right now. Um, we should be focused on glorifying God, knowing that every day is an opportunity to do that. And um, the quality of life should be determined by him, not by me. Um, I mean, we can get into another time, Jer, if we want to talk about, you know, what's in the will and all that kind of stuff as far as, you know, sure. an accident and whether they keep me on life support and all this stuff. And, and, but th- that's not it. We're right now. I'm just talking about just the medicine of, um, and the opportunities, uh, and just how, um, there has to be time to pray and talk to God about what is, you know, what is he doing? Mm-hmm. What does he want you to use this time for? How um, everyone wants to go to heaven, but no one wants to die. <laughs> and um, the fear often causes us to reach for things that um, are not for us. Uh, and so a doctor's desire is to extend the life as long as possible. Whereas um, for many individuals, God has granted them peace to know that this is the end and we shouldn't fight them. 
Um, we should ask them what has God been putting on their heart as opposed to praying for the miracle. If God's made it clear, no, it's time for you to come home, enjoy the season, then enjoy the season with them and don't fight them. On the flip side, if this is a spiritual warfare thing and God's made it clear, no, keep coming to me, keep asking, this is part of your journey, this is part of your story, then do just that. And know that as you engage with medicine, God is the one in charge. He's the one who will guide you to meet those individuals uh, that are proper. Okay, that was my little personal commercial break for those going through things before we jump in back into the, the editing. Um, um, I personally feel like the church is missing the mark, uh, just to get back into our normal groove. Um, this is a conversation that I think we need to look at the text and wrestle with, with the knowledge that God is the one who um, gives us purpose as instruments of his, as him being the one who molds the clay and we are those broken pots he decides to use. Um, we, we have to be humble. Um, I do think when we talk about being made in his image, That's huge when it comes to how precious it is. Um, so when it comes to people having access to good health care, I think that should be, and we assume that because of where we live and where we are, but I think that should be understood that this is a way to love your neighbor, to love the other. <laughs> I struggle with the opportunity to extend days and still, you know, be good. Um, <laughs> but knowing that that same tool could be used to harm others. It could be used in the future to harm intentionally others. or unintentionally. Correct. Like, I mean, we were wrestling with this the other day, the fact that, you know, um, you could go to the hospital and your children and uh, my children could have grandkids, or we could have grandkids, or they could have children. Um, mm -hmm. have edited out all the, the, the issues that, that plague you and I, which mm -hmm. sounds like a miracle. Yeah, sounds like paradise. <laughs> get rid of all pain, get rid of all... Correct. I, I could make I could make some racist jokes right there. Oh, no, please stop. <laughs> I yeah, I did, but but it, but it, but I, I'm saying it because of this. The fact that I could make racist jokes about quality of life improvements based on gene editing is because of the way that this could be used. Oh, and that's part of in completely sinful ways. That's part of my concern. Is what then becomes the line? Of yeah. Where do you stop? Um, is it, you know, is it one of those things where I want my son to be the best swimmer? And so now it's a couple tweaks and a couple extra hundred bucks. And he's already got the genes for being big. Uh, that's not an mm -hmm. issue. Um, you know, we help him out a little bit and um, make sure that his lung capacity is a little more increased and some other stuff, just natural stuff, you know, just bigger lungs, a little bit, um, some other things that would help him. A few mods, few upgrades. Yeah, again, nothing crazy. Mm -hmm. Is that something I have to disclose when I get married? That all of our kids are going to be genetically different? 
Is that is that part of the conversation we as pastors have with those getting married? Um, like that, like we ask, are there any relationship by kin? But do we go into that? Do we really wrestle with the impact on those who can't afford these upgrades <laughs> and yet need medical services that I'm not even considering? Like I'm, I'm not helping pay off their debt or helping them get to a level of health care that will allow for them to glorify God in their best life. Yes. Um, like, this, these, are, these are real issues. We can, we can pull this out of the context of gene editing and put it simply into the context of how do we make moral decisions? What's, mm-hmm. the, what's the framework or the paradigm that we use to make more decisions of moral impact and moral consequence when we're talking about providing services or resources that are by definition limited in number? to a population that is by definition greater than that number of resources. We had in 2021, the first transport, interspecies transplantation of a pig heart into a human. And at this point in history, it is going well, at least as of the date that we're recording this. But the question has come up. That's correct. But the question's come up. Should this person have even received this transplantation? Because this person had a criminal history that includes things that, that make him look like a very unsavory person. Mm-hmm. That, that's its own question. And I've heard answers from the medical community. The answer from the medical community is we are here to provide medical services regardless of the moral impact. It doesn't matter who you are. Once you're on my operating table, I am on your side. It's the same as if I'm a lawyer. It doesn't matter what you did. My job is to fight as hard as I can for you within the law. That's an answer. And I I think that's a pretty solid basis for the medical community. But this doesn't simply impact the medical community. Coming through COVID, we can be real here. It doesn't matter what you think. The medical community is one perspective. And it's one that has to be balanced within the greater societal um, requirements wherever you are. Medical side has one set of perspectives. Scientific's going to have one set of perspectives. Economics going to have one side of one perspective. The church should have its own. And the question is, how do we talk about what ours is and what the underlying and driving principles are? Because as I think through this, and I, I told you this earlier, the beyond the image of God mm-hmm. that's imprinted on man as being a, a fundamental starting point for having this discussion. One of the filters that I look at this through is what Isaiah is alluding to when he talks about and he he criticizes um, the nation of Israel. He says, you at the same time, you cut down a tree, you cut it in half, you take half of it, you carve it into an idol. You take the other half, you make a fire and cook your food, and then you offer that food to the first half of the log that you made into an idol as an oblation for something, as a way to appease gods. And it's ridiculous. But what's, what's implied now, what I think is really important for us to grasp, is that 
we are going to make gods for ourselves. Or rather, I should say, we're going to identify the God that we will serve. And once we have identified that God, we will be bound to obey and serve him. Which is why for me as a Christian, it doesn't matter. It's not important that you are not a Christian. What's important to me, even beyond the fact that you're not a Christian, is that you are serving somebody. And because I care about you, I want you to be serving the person who cares about you. And from what I've seen, that's only the God of the Bible. Now, I could be wrong. And I'm open to being argued with. I'm open to looking at this. But as I have honestly looked at it for the course of my life, I've come back to this answer over and over again. The way that you can best be served is to be in obedience to God. Everything else is going to make a slave out of you and then eat you up as its food. And these technologies fall into that same paradigm of thinking. Yes, they provide a means of military superiority, military and national security. They provide a source of medical breakthrough and medical uh, extension of health and treatment. However, they also demand an obedience to the parameters that we have agreed they exist in. And that's where we have to pause. That's where we have to really be careful and say, because of the second paradigm of once I have identified my God, I must obey that God. That then comes into question, or that, that forces us to look at the question, how then do we look at the value of man, the value of humanity in light of this God's paradigm? Because as a, as a Christian, um, the image of God in man, the Imago Dei, is one of the most necessary foundational principles. I would say at least second to the incarnation of the God-man, the Christ, and his work. I think second to that, possibly parallel with that in terms of the foundation of what we believe, is the Imago Dei. That God made us in his image. He made us to be like him. He granted to us value out of himself. And he made us to desire the good things that are from him. So our desire for security, our desire for um, health, our desire for prosperity, our desire for truth and for justice all come from the image that he granted to us when he made us like himself. It's easy to... It's easy to neglect that image and to assume that these things are innately of us, mm -hmm. that they are not from God, and then to find things that seem to satisfy these desires and mistake those things as the God that will fulfill this desire, but then we become enslaved too. Well, and that's where I think we really have to be careful. Yeah, taking another, you know, a good Christianese that you and I understand, our desire to live now and stay here we must be mindful shouldn't um, be in front of what God wants to do. Like, it, like that's right. my big concern is that often we're making the decision based off of what we feel should take place 
as opposed to what God is doing. Um, right. Example, quality of life, looking at seniors, well, they've slowed down, they've passed the prime, whatever reason you want to rationalize. I can go the other way and say they bear the image of God. They have the opportunity to share the gospel wherever they are. If they can't share verbally anymore, they have the ability to share through touch. If they can't share through touch, God still has a space in place for them so that you can show grace and mercy, so that you can grow. Right. It's not simply about um, my convenience or comfort. And I know mm. that's hard. But I really believe there's a reason why God didn't give in the Garden of Eden much of the stuff we have today. Um, like, you know, after they were kicked out, he didn't say, okay, and here is XYZ to continue um, doing these things. Yes, they lived a ridiculously long life. We can go to Genesis and have some fun with that. Um, but I, I really think there's a reason why God wants us to go to him bringing what's been presented, having multiple conversations with doctors or lawyers or, yes. you know, whatever, so that you have the right. information. I'm not saying don't do that, but take it to God to see, okay, God, what are you doing? Right. What are you doing? Is it, is it time for me to fight for the, you know, for forever? Or when is it, you know, you let me know and I'll continue to check in with you to make sure I know when is it time to stop this, right? I often have individuals who come and say, hey, I was diagnosed with stage four, blah, blah, blah. They've given me six months and then I'm jumping into treatment for the next six months. And it's like, okay, what did God say? <laughs> like, right. where, where, where is God in the midst? Yes. I, I hear the doctor. I, I know that this is standard, you know, procedure for treatment at this time. I get it. What is God saying? Like, like, have you had any other conversations with anyone else? Have we prayed about this? Not that you're going to not continue with the treatment, but there could be a question of, okay, God knows your days. If you've only got three months left and he has things for you to do, reaching out to others, sharing stuff before you transition so they hear the truth from you as opposed to fighting for life that isn't yours because your life is found in Christ. And I know that that's hard because we view it as our own when we are his. Well, again, we, we've said this a number of times, both in Daily Gains and last season in Anchor and Devoted. We have an idea that life should get easier and more comfortable. And the answer to that that I would give is yes, it should but it's not going to in this life. In this life, we've been promised one thing. In this life, you will have tribulation. We're going to have tribulation from the moment that we draw our first breath to the moment that we give up our last breath. And as we walk through that tribulation, the question that we have to ask every single day is, who am I going to trust? Some trust in horses and some trust in chariots. I will trust the name of the Lord my God. And that doesn't mean I'm not going to pursue this avenue or that avenue. It doesn't mean it's predetermined. It means that when it comes to these questions, I start by saying, my God holds my days. My God holds my future. I'm going to go to him and have this conversation before I assume I know what the answer is. 
And that's, I think what you're saying, and that's a challenge. And I, you know, I, I'm trying to land the plane here because we've only just scratched the surface well, and we're about 35 minutes in. <laughs> I know you're trying to land the plane, I will say that for those that are in positions of power, and this was my pushback even against you yesterday when we were talking about this some, Jaron, even before this time, yeah. was we need people who are having this conversation with God in those positions when we're talking about taking life or aiding life. Like, right. okay, where is the spiritual connection? It doesn't mean that there needs to be a prayer time before every, you know, missile is shot. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying someone should be talking to God <laughs> um, and being able to hear, like, what is your will, not just ours? We, we see it in the now, like this appears right. to be a threat, but you see throughout all of time, right. what would you have us do and know that sometimes that requires us to wait. Sometimes that requires yep. us to see opportunities in different ways and also embrace things that we might, might not even be comfortable with. And that might mean, again, being patient. Um, you know, as you state, let's land this a little bit. Where are things when it comes to gene editing for me? Um, it's it's one of those things where um, I'm very much open to it. Mm -hmm. um, um, again, I've had my conversation with God, so mm -hmm. I I know where we are. Um, but I also know, more importantly, that I'm to glorify Him and talk to the doctors and talk to the nurses and share my faith. And um, uh, I also know that I'm to engage with the community around me and write and read and speak and use the time appropriately. Um, because it isn't a cure. It's, and the fun part is, it's not a cure for anyone. <laughs> like, like, just like in the book of Genesis, everyone's going to die. So we need to be about doing the work um, uh, that God has called us to do. Well, we've certainly uh, laid out a number of questions for people to be wrestling with. Um, and I, you know, just so that you, the listener, know where Dave and I are. Besides getting uh, the feedback here from the government about the things we're talking about, as we're <laughs> talking about this stuff, uh, we have not uh, closed this discussion up or wrapping this up for this morning. Um, but we're going to come back to this and continue this conversation because it is one that, um, like I said, we've only scratched the surface. We've asked a number of questions. We do want to to now do exactly what we said and look back to God. Uh, to hear his voice on these. But for that, you're going to have to tune back in. So tell your friends, grab some popcorn, and uh, listen back in to the next episode. Have a blessed day.